Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode four of season four of SG Explained. Elliot, we are back in the virtual studio. How has your week been? I'm not going to lie. It's a long week. I hope you had a better one than me, that's for sure. It was quite nice to go out about, get some dinner with my wife. The fact that we can, you know, both be <laughs> eating in a dining spot is actually quite a shock for me. I didn't know I, I wasn't adjusting that well until this week. I managed to finally be able to celebrate a belated birthday, especially because, you know, my birthday was during Phase 2 yep. Heightened Alert and I was stuck indoors, but it was nice to meet friends, uh, really have that celebratory mood. And thankfully, you know, in this last few weeks, I really re-embraced the idea of relationships, right? And I think, Elliot, you and I are long due for a catch-up to, to reconnect and to just chill out. I agree. I can't wait for us to hang out and actually talk more nerd stuff uh, <laughs> to prepare for this entire show yeah <laughs> yeah on the topic of relationships i am super excited to have a new person in the studio someone to share with us about the topic that we've chosen today which is about the snakes of singapore and i'm not talking about the people who stab you in the back i'm talking about the actual <laughs> snakes that exist in singapore i'd like to you know just say hi to sunker uh, hi. from the herpetological society how's it going hey welcome sunker hi guys hi Elliot. hi Rovic. thanks for having me on the show I'm really excited to join you guys today it sounds like a real fun time <laughs> it's our greatest pleasure and actually it's our privilege to have you on so we're very excited you you seem to be a snake expert from the herpolog herp herper Man, this word is going to trip me up all day, so I'm going to get it around once. Is there an easier way to say this word? You can say Herb Society. Oh, the Herb Society. Okay, yeah, that sounds, that sounds way easier. But I have to get it right for the listeners once. The Herpetological Society. Am yeah, I right close? Okay, great. <laughs> so before we, you know, get into the topic of snakes, uh, we'd love to get to know you, Sankar. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what is the Herpetological Society? As, as much as you're trying to struggle to pronounce it, maybe it's better to understand what it is. My name is Sankar. Uh, I've uh, been in Singapore my whole life, 21 years, um, and I started getting interested in reptiles and amphibians right after my JC days when I was in national service. Ooh. And uh, for me personally, I was already pretty interested in nature, um, but one thing that always seemed like a uh, particularly interesting aspect of this was reptiles and amphibians. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to meet a bunch of people who were interested to, you know, go out and find these animals in the wild and um, and learn about them together. So uh, together we started the Herpetological Society of Singapore. Now, herpetology is the study of reptiles and amphibians um, and the HSS, as we call it. We mostly study and do outreach about the reptiles and amphibians of Singapore and Southeast Asia. Okay, that's really interesting. And this is like a volunteer-run group? Yes, that's right. Wow, okay. 100% volunteer-run. Sanka probably knows a lot about reptiles and amphibians in general. Uh, but today we have uh, chosen to focus it a bit, I think, uh, on snakes because I've seen a lot of stories of, uh, you know, snakes that have been appearing in society. I also think in general, snakes are probably the most prominent 
reptiles that you would know of. Uh, and so I thought, why not we start with this? And based on the interest, we'll see if we want to do follow-up episodes on the topic. Of course, I've actually seen Sankar give a presentation and a TED Talk, which is why I was very excited when he agreed to come on our show and chat more of us as well. So let's let's dive into it. According to the reptile database, there are more than 3,700 snake species in the world. And this is as of August 2019. Uh, In Singapore, surprisingly, despite our size and the amount of urban development, we have at least 67 species of snakes in Singapore, of which five have been introduced. And it says here uh, that one is a visitor. I'm very curious what this means when five are introduced and one is a visitor. So five introduced species means um, they're not native to Singapore. So uh, snakes, for example, your striped keelback, that's the uh, spotted slug snake. These are introduced species of snakes. They're not native to Singapore. And usually because of some kind of development or some kind of um, you know materials that are brought over from other countries, animals tend to hitch rides on these, these materials and, and they establish themselves in Singapore. So these are introduced species. I'm pretty sure the one visitor snake is probably uh, the only one of the only pelagic snakes in the world, which is the pelagic sea snake. So it's a sea snake that occasionally shows up in our waters. Not to be too graphic, but I was in the toilet and there was a snake that climbed through in the water. And this this was a long time ago. I was probably like 12 uh, in my in my old house, right? So we used to live in like an old, uh, old kampongi house and a snake actually crawled through my toilet bowl. And I was like, yo. I would put my money on that being a python, to be honest. <laughs> I'm glad I ran out of that one. Yeah, I would not call <laughs> your toilet bowl a sea, Elliot. I was just assuming, uh, you know, where they come from, man. Like, I, I have zero knowledge about reptiles. And I'm so glad you're here, Sanka. All drains lead to the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> so these species in Singapore range from small snakes to long and monstrous ones. And due to the urbanization of Singapore, snakes are forced to more natural habitats. The problem is, you know, these natural habitats, because of how dense Singapore is, they're still near buildings and houses. And so from time to time, like uh, the snake that appeared in your toilet, Elliot, uh, these snakes turn up in our urban environments, whether it's in our backyards or in city drains. So I thought actually for this episode, what we could do is we could go through the main types of snakes, and this is based on just online research. Ooh, exciting. So we're going to start with the king cobra. So the king cobra's scientific name is the Ophiophagus Hannah. Am I pronouncing that right? Ophiophagus Hannah. Yeah. Ophiophagus Hannah. This is going to be a great episode where we're going to try to <laughs> un- like pronounce as many scientific names as possible and see if we get them right, Rovic. Like We've never had this challenge ever done on this show, so I know. I know. great time to hit. So the king cobra is a dangerous snake to find in the daytime. It is the biggest venomous snake in the world, and hey, we have it in Singapore. <laughs> they are highly feared because their venom is fatal. And king cobras live in lowland and highly elevated areas and feed on lizards, rodents, and other snakes. You would recognize the king cobra by basically its bigger hood when it's fully spread. It has large head shields. It has a big body. Uh, It appears black, light brown, and dark brown with a pale yellow underside. And it can stand as tall as six feet from the ground. Uh, It also emits a growl-like hissing sound, which... If you've seen enough movies and you've seen the King Cobra in the movies, I think you will be very, very familiar with this. Ophiophagus literally translates to snake eater. Yo. Hannah means it's a tree spirit. So the scientific name tells you a lot about this creature because it's a snake eating snake, 
that lives in the trees. Oh my goodness, that's so cool. I just thought it was his last name. Would you consider this like an apex snake? Absolutely. This is an apex predator. Uh, it's not, I wouldn't really say it's a dangerous snake. I don't really think that any snakes are truly dangerous because okay. if you leave them alone, they will leave you alone as well. You know, I had a really cool encounter with a king cobra recently, like just this week. Um, no way. Which is really special because uh, I've only seen king cobras three times in my whole life and twice was in Singapore. Once was in 2015 and once was this year in Singapore and the other time was in Hong Kong. Uh, king cobras are really like the holy grail of reptiles and amphibians. Like for people like me who like seeing these animals in the wild, the king cobra is like the pinnacle of it. It's not easy to find at all. It, it's very elusive and it's an apex predator. So uh, we actually came across a king cobra that was eating a reticulated python in Sungai Bolo. So like I said, they eat other snakes, right? So what had happened was that afternoon, the king cobra had bitten a reticulated python and um, the python was slowly dying on the mudflats and the king cobra had moved away into like this grassy knoll. And uh, it was waiting there for like three hours, four hours. And we were kind of staking out this location. We had like we had sights on the dead python. The python by this time had died. And we actually saw like this monitor lizard that was swimming from, you know, stage right. And it was just like coming in to check out this dead carcass because monitor lizards are scavengers, right? So the monitor lizard, which is a big lizard by itself, came up to the python and it started sniffing at the python. Maybe it could sense that this python had been killed by a king cobra because it didn't go for the carcass immediately. And it actually turned around and walked away. But as it turned around and walked away, we saw this massive 2.5 meter king cobra just rushing out from the, the grassy knoll and kind of, it, it had like a standoff with this uh, with this monitor lizard. Oh, man. And it essentially kind of chased that monitor lizard away from, away from the python. And then it turned around, went back, and it ate the reticulated python whole. Wait, when you say ate it whole, you mean like it just opens its mandible to like swallow it? Yeah, that's right. So it goes head first, it eats Whoa, the python's head first. Within massive. 45 minutes, the whole python's inside. That's a big meal. Wow. But to see a king cobra in the wild in Singapore, like you were saying, it's, it was very recent for you. So like that, that was must have been a very exciting time. I live in the east. So I when my friend told me that there was a king cobra in Bulo, I, you know, I just asked my friend to, you know, drop me off all the way in Sunai Bolo. Is that right to say then then the king cobra can appear anywhere in Singapore? Well, no, because king cobras are very territorial creatures, so they don't uh, really use just any kind of space. They need particular kinds of habitat. So good places to see them are your uh, Western Catchment Reserve where there's mangrove forest. King cobras love mangrove forest. Uh, and there are some king cobras that have been recorded in the central catchment area as well. I think recently there was even a case of a king cobra that was outside an NTUC at, I think, Masiling or Admiral. I think it was just a transient individual just moving through the space. Well, speaking of, you know, eating what the king cobra ate, you mentioned the reticulated python, which should also be one of our native snakes, right? Uh, its scientific name is the Malay Opithon reticulatus. How how close was I? Maleopython reticulatus. Okay, no, you, so you make it sound way better than I, I am. <laughs> no, so the reticulated python is actually a non-venomous nocturnal snake. And it is the longest snake in the whole world with the longest at more than 10, me 10 meters. Okay, wow. Uh, it lives in forests, mangroves, drain canals, uh, and lowland to highland areas. Now, this type of snake relies on rodents, small mammals, and birds as food resources. The python is actually not a pest at all. It's a native species. In Singapore, we have this tendency, especially with pythons, to treat them as pests. 
uh, when actually the pythons are the pest control. Um, you can see that the snake actually eats rodents and small mammals. So many of these are <laughs> disease spreading yeah, yeah, rats. Yeah, it's getting rid like of that. the rats. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a good thing that we have pythons in urban spaces. Because pythons are non-venomous, uh, and as you said, they kind of keep to themselves. Actually, a lot of, I guess, the fear of pythons are a bit unwarranted, right? Uh, they don't really do much and they, they focus on just getting their food and moving on. How will you identify like um, a, a python? It's actually in the name. Uh, the, the name reticulated actually uh, refers to the pattern on the python. So you, you have this really cool uh, zigzagging pattern um, with, with lots of different colors, but most predominantly you have like a olive green with a black, yellow, and, and, and brown scales. The underside is usually uh, white in color. Uh, and they have like a really nice puppy dog face. W- what I call a puppy dog <laughs> face. Oh, that's cute. Compared to like other snakes, pythons really have like the chubby cheeks look. Uh, I remember in the TED Talk, Sankar, when you came uh, and talked about how people normally think of cute and they think of puppies and cats or small furry animals. But actually, you may even extend that description to snakes and reptiles and amphibians. But you just got to be okay with, you know, scaly uh, or even, I don't know, slimy skin. Oh, it's so cute. It has these like orange eyes uh, on some of them. Yeah, it's yeah. on these Google pictures I'm, I'm looking at. That's super interesting. And I'm, I'm sure the python as well as the cobra will come up again in in our conversation but we can move on to some of the other snakes that actually we don't really talk about so there is also the banded crate and the scientific name is bungarus fasciatus yeah oh nice i got it right nice <laughs> it's, a, it's a venomous snake that hunts for food at night it survives on eating fish lizards cats rodents and other snakes so uh for those who have pets you know this may be one of the snakes you have to watch out for uh the banded crate frequents termite mounds rodent holes and areas close to water and when threatened this snake might bite anyone who approaches it so you'll notice it by its black and white stripes from head to tail it has a black head normally and a body with a triangular cross section it's a super interesting snake because it sounds like this may not have as much of a profile as a king cobra interestingly this is a snake that i've never seen so it's not common at all this description makes it sound like it's everywhere when actually these snakes are restricted to coastal forests for the most part. Um, so a good place to see a bandit crate possibly would be uh, in Ubin, for example. But they're not super common outside of that. They certainly don't come to urban areas. And, and the fact that I've been looking for this snake for like six years and I still haven't found it, uh, I think goes to show that it's actually less of a threat than it sounds like. This is why we have you on the show, Sangar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most of these snakes so far, uh, I mean, except for the King Cobra, they're, they're almost entirely nocturnal. And yeah, I, I've spent many nights on Ubin, right? Like just camping over at Ubin, trying to find the crate. And um, to, no, to no luck, in a sense, it's a good thing, right? Like the fact that there is biodiversity that it's there, even if we don't see it. For this snake, snake, maybe you could tell me if you found it. I, actually, I love I love hearing these stories of like how you found them. Uh, this one is the Oriental Whip Snake, and the scientific name is Ahetula prasina. Oh my goodness! Like that's obviously wrong, but oh, it's pretty close. Ahetula prasina. So this Oriental Whip Snake has like mild venom and is most active in the daytime, unlike the others that we've uh, looked at so far. And though it has venom, it is not enough to kill a human with its bite. Uh, normally, if 
feeds on frogs, birds, lizards, and can usually find it in parks, uh, forests, and residential areas with vegetation and trees. Now, if you're trying to spot it, it is like a small and like lanky snake. It's sometimes like light brown to bright kind of like green scales and can grow as long as uh, two meters. So really, really not that long if you think about it. It's like what, two two widths of me? Yeah. Yeah, these are some of the most common snakes in Singapore. So it's super easy to see uh, even in parks and gardens. Uh, and sometimes they, as a result, they end up in people's houses. Like the description uh, says they have pretty mild venom uh, and it doesn't really affect humans. It's more tailored towards their prey, which is lizards and, and small frogs and things like that. Interesting thing about the scientific name, uh, Ahetula persina, right? So the word Ahetula is actually derived from a Singhala word, Sri Lankan, Sri Lankan word, right? Uh, because in many parts of South India and in Sri Lanka, the, there is a myth associated with this group of snakes, the whip snakes, that um, they, when you are observing their beauty, they will peck out your eyes. <laughs> Whoa. Ahetula literally means, in Singhala, it means uh, eye pecker. This isn't true. The, the whip snake has no interest in your eyes. It, it just wants to eat geckos. Speaking about interest in the eyes, <laughs> the next snake, uh, the black spitting cobra, which scientific name is Naja Sumatrana, is a deadly snake that spits venom in the victim's eyes. It searches for food like rodents and other amphibians at night, and its habitat are cool places like garden walls, drains, and shelters. The snake's venom can permanently damage eye tissues if not washed immediately, while its bite can kill any living creature. It has black to bluish-black color, a hood that erects when provoked, very common to cobras, uh, and it can stand tall and spit venom, as we said. This cobra sounds scary to me. Have you seen this one in Singapore? A couple of times, a few times, actually. Uh, and the spitting cobras are, are pretty common in urban areas as well. It's not uncommon for people to encounter these especially when um, they're biking along like the green corridor for example and yeah they do have the ability to spit venom towards their tormentor's eyes uh, but this is a hundred percent defense mechanism so the only time when this would actually happen is if you've cornered the snake and you're giving it no chance to, to, to get away from you. In all these cases the snake is always more afraid of the people than the people are of the snake so Every single time there's a snake bite, it's usually defensive. You know, the snake's not actively looking to hurt people. Yeah, yeah. It's not trying to, like, go out and find human prey, right? Yeah, unlike actually, some humans, right? They actually don't go out there and find trouble. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those are the real snakes, huh? Those are the real snakes, dude. So the first time that I saw the snake was, uh, again, on Pulau Ubin. Uh, and I was uh, doing a guided walk at Chek Jawa. So uh, I went to use the toilet for a while, right? And I was just using my phone. And I walked out of the toilet and I saw this like movement out of the corner of my eye, right? And I see this two meter long spitting cobra hood up and it's just staring at me from the corner, like about two meters away from me. First time seeing a king, uh, spitting cobra. So I was like, oh my God, it's a spitting cobra. And so I ran past it. I went down to get my group. There's about 20, maybe 15 people. And I was like, guys, come on, there's a spitting cobra here. If we run fast enough, we can catch it. I mean, we can see it, right? So we ran over to it uh, and we just managed to see this spitting cobra moving away from us into the drain and uh, getting away. I think that goes to show that if you give these snakes enough space, uh, you can actually have meaningful interactions without having to having one person 
you know, have uh, venoms spat into their eyes or anything like that. Elliot, I don't know if we'd ever be ready to go snake spotting. Well, I, you know what? I would be up for the challenge, no yeah, doubt. You're welcome to join. A me. lot of these snakes have like very cool like characteristics, which I think, you know, when you speak of biodiversity, I really like to see that uh, it's like a hashtag not all snakes, you know. Uh, the next one that I, that I saw that I had quite a lot of interest in is actually the banded Malayan coral snake or Calliophis intestinalis. This is another with like deadly venom uh, and it is active at night looking for other snakes to eat. Uh, they usually inhabit gardens, parks and forests. Uh, but based on the on the pictures I'm looking at on Google, oh, they, they look so cool. They look really dope. They're like souped up versions of snakes the way I, I, I them. Uh, they have this like reddish stripe along the length on the top side of the body uh, a, bri- a bright red tail contrasting black and white stripes in the underbelly it can grow as long as 50 centimeters so it's not very long but it reminds me of like you know when you like, you try to tune up your car you know like you, yeah wow this this thing looks really cool uh, is, is this something that you think someone as an amateur like me could spot in Singapore? Full disclosure, uh, I haven't seen this snake in Singapore. I have seen it in Malaysia, but I haven't seen the banded Malayan coral in Singapore. I've seen uh, the blue Malayan coral snake in Singapore, which is a larger relative of this snake. It's the same genus. I think it looks a lot more like a, a tsundatka because it's like blue in color. It's got a red, Yo, head, yeah. a red tail and a red belly. It's, it's, yeah, so these these snakes have really bright colors just because coral snakes, they, they are one of the more highly venomous uh, snakes. So this is actually there to warn potential predators. Uh, it's called aposematic coloration. And it's for them to say, hey, I'm really colorful and I'm really venomous. Uh, you can clearly see me, so back off. That's my clothing choice. Yeah, <laughs> I wear these like really gaudy looking clothes so that people are like, "Yo, back off, man! I ain't, I ain't here to play." <laughs> I love this. So the next snake is actually uh, the reason why we included it is because it can fly. So the paradise tree snake, or also known as the Chrysoplea paradisi, is that right? Uh huh, Chrysoplea paradisi. I was not right. <laughs> it's, not, it's a beautiful snake that is often seen in forests. They can be encountered in gardens, parks, mangroves, and coastal forests. So, very similar to other snakes that we've been talking about. But it's also called the flying tree snake, and it can perform its version of the parachute jump. This enables to cross long distances to catch their prey or escape other predators, and it often eats tree dwelling lizards. It is mildly venomous and can release its venom from the grooves of its fangs. It is known as an adept tree climber. It has a long cylindrical body, flat and distinct head with yellow spots in five bands. Uh, it has a black netting pattern on yellow or green upper side of its body. And it also sometimes has a row of red flowery pattern at the center. This seems like a very, very interesting snake. Much like the oriental whip snake, it's one of the more common snakes in Singapore. Regularly see it even in urban areas. So I went to NUS, my university was in NUS, and I stayed on campus. So I stayed at Ridgeview Residential College, and we regularly saw paradise tree snakes um, just just vibing. <laughs> uh, Paradise tree snake made its way into one of my junior's rooms uh, and it coiled itself around her instant noodles. I had to go rescue it uh, from the room and release it as one But they're completely harmless, even though it says that they are mildly venomous. Yes, they are mildly venomous, but again, like the oriental whip snake, mostly targets um, you know, small lizards and, and things like that. It doesn't really affect humans so much. The cool thing about it, right, the flying tree snake, it can actually glide from one tree to another. So what it does is actually it spreads out its ribcage and it turns itself into kind of a concave, uh, a really long frisbee, so to speak. It makes like a J shape off a branch and it 
throws itself off this branch. Oh, so it's kind of like parachutes down. Is that what you're saying? Uh, more than parachutes, it actually glides forward. So parachuting makes it sound like it falls more than it goes forward. This one goes forward more than it falls. Wow. Uh, there's been a lot of research on, on this genus being done in Singapore. And, and a lot of it is being done by the zoo, right? So what they did was they built this really tall tower and they dropped the snake off that tower to see how far it would glide and how it would glide, right? And apparently they actually observed one snake glide forward, turn around in midair and glide back towards the tower. What? Whoa. So it's literally flying at this point in time. You know, it's, like... it's not flying because it's not going up. It is going down. So it's, it's falling with style, but it's it's falling with a lot of style. I'm just imagining all these flying snakes, uh, gliding snakes all around That's uh, nice. parts of Singapore. <laughs> wow. We'll jump into our last snake before we go on a little... Uh, you know, short little intermission break. Uh, the one we're going to talk about is the Elegant Bronze Bag, which by far to me has the coolest sounding name uh, in all that we've talked about. So these bronze bags are diurnal snakes that are shy and move very quickly. Uh, there are six species of bronze bags in Singapore, apparently, and it'd be a challenge to tell them apart in the field. In fact, the Copsteen's bronze bag was confused with the elegant bronze bag in the past and was only described as a separate species in 2007. And this is according to uh, Vogel and Van in 2007. The elegant bronze bag is endangered in Singapore, by the way, and is restricted mostly to the central catchment nature reserve. Recently, these elusive snakes were caught on camera in the documentary Wild City with the first known recording of their mating behavior. Now, this is so interesting. We don't have a, a super lot of information about the elegant bronze bags, but um, maybe Sanka, you can tell us a little bit more about them. So like you said, these are diurnal snakes. That means they are active in the day. Uh, is the opposite of nocturnal. And there are six species of bronze bags in Singapore. So a lot of them are... Uh, bronze bags, like like you said, they're very hard to tell apart, right? So it's uh, they kind of look very similar and uh, it's just a few differences in coloration and, and morphology that help you tell them apart. And uh, yeah, in fact, the Cop Science bronze bag was confused with the elegant bronze bag in the past. The Wild City documentary was very interesting because it actually showed... If I'm not wrong, it actually showed like three of them mating together. So there were three bronze bags mating. Oh, this is a very progressive bronze back. <laughs> and, and this happens surprisingly regularly. I think it's been recorded to happen like once or twice after that as well. Wait, are you saying bronze bags are like super into threesomes? I'm not sure about the mechanics of how how, <laughs> how that works, but but it is a pretty interesting um, observation, right? That, you know, there's, there's three of them that get uh, caught in this semi-mating bowl sort of thing. Yeah, so we've gone through uh, basically a feature of a couple of key snakes in Singapore. Of course, like we said, there are 67 species, so there's a lot more that we that we did not talk about. But I thought that this would give us a good cross-section of some of the, the more prolific snakes to look out for. We're going to be taking a short break, and we're going to be coming back to talk about the common sense questions that people may have uh, by this point. You know, what do I do if I see a snake? If I'm like Sankar and I want to go snake spotting, how do I do it? So we'll be back right after this break. <laughs> We're glad you're listening to this episode and are part of the SG Explainers community. You're special because you're part of a group of people who are joining us to understand the Singaporean identity through a wide variety of topics. Elliot and I do this completely out of passion, but we do incur costs to use software, equipment, and not to mention the time spent. We're hoping that you may consider supporting the SG Explain effort in one of two ways. 
If you click on the podcast description of the podcast you're listening to, you'll see a link that says support this podcast with a link to anchor.fm slash sg explain slash support. A contribution as small as 99 cents when added up by all our community members can go a long way for us. The second way is that if you want more bonus content for your buck, we've launched an email newsletter. That's right, all the content that doesn't make it to the podcast, including our own perspectives, videos and pictures, as well as links to more resources can be found in these email digests that provide compact information for your on-the-go reading. For $5 US a month, basically the cost of a bubble tea, through Substack you can get a digest a week with great content. The internet has allowed you, the consumer, to directly express your support to creators like us without needing to depend on brand sponsors too much. We hope you can give whatever you feel comfortable with. Here at SG Explained, Elliot and I are committed to getting great guests, conducting thorough research, and bringing you quality explainers on all things Singaporean. Thank you for being part of our community. All right, and we're back from the break. So... As we said before, we looked at the different types of snakes. Now, we want to understand how snakes in Singapore have been treated, you know, as as part of our biodiversity, as part of our ecosystem. But before we do that, I'm curious, you know, have snakes become more common or have they become more rare since maybe uh, the 1990s, right? So not too far back, but, you know, since recent history. I know that based on the herpetological society it says that you know there were anecdotal reports of people encountering snakes in their kampongs of course because these border forested areas the research that i could find just says it's difficult to gauge population of snakes in general because they're very elusive and they keep to themselves we don't really have a proper baseline per se so we do have some idea i mean there's a historical record of what snakes have been found in singapore in the past certainly some of these species you know, can't be encountered in Singapore anymore. Oh, so we've, we've lost species? We've definitely lost a lot of species of uh, reptiles and amphibians in general. Uh, I, can't, I can't really, like, nothing really comes to mind when I think about, like, a snake species that we can't find here anymore. But we have, like, found new species in Singapore that we didn't know were present before. So, for example, in 2014, they, they found the blackwater mud snake, Phytolopsis punctata. It was found inside Nisun Swamp Forest, right? So these are uh, really poorly known uh, species of snake, but, uh, you know, we, we only found them for the first time in 2014. Other species like your um, smooth slug snake has so far only been found through roadkill. Other species like uh, the Selangor mud snake was just rediscovered last year after a gap of more than 100 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, previously there was the Gimlet's reed snake. Gimlet's reed snake was previously only found on Pulau Pawai more than 113 years ago. Uh, and then it was rediscovered in 2017 on mainland Singapore. So there's like these huge gaps in our understanding. So it's very hard to answer the question about whether a snake was lost or not. Because sometimes it may not actually be lost. It may just, it may be, just be hiding. And just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And I think broadly we can agree that deforestation and human encroachment of natural habitats can threaten uh, especially forest-dwelling snakes. Uh, some species have adapted to rapid urbanization. So, for example, we talked about the reticulated python now being in drains, right? Like the, these are examples of snakes just adapting to the environment 
it's I think it's fair to say that the way snakes operated in Singapore or lived in Singapore has changed as well. <laughs> Either by them leaving or or we get new snakes coming in or them just adapting to to the urban environment. You know, now that they are they are in the urban environment, I'm sure some of you are wondering like what do you do if you, you know, unwantedly encounter a snake? I mean, there's so many different types that we, we see we went through today. Uh, and we found some stuff according to M Parks on what you should do if you were to, you know, encounter a snake in your everyday life. The first one is, that they state is that you should resist the urge to attack it with a broom or stick. Great. I think I can totally be on board with that. And uh, not to confront the snake and keep your distance away from it. Uh, the snake may try to look for a dark and secure area and you should observe to see where it hides so that it can be removed by professionals. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and this is information that we have on our website as well. Uh, it's pretty good advisory not to confront these animals because uh, like I said, uh, the only time people get hurt is when the snake is acting in self-defense. That segues really nicely into point number two, which is like to make sure that young children and pets like dogs or cats who, you know, some of them are the prey of these uh, snakes are kept away from the room or area where the snake is as they may be curious and try to approach the snake. If they were to see the banded like Malayan coral snake, if I was a kid, I go touch it. You know, it looks cool. Are you sure it just as a kid, Elliot? I feel like... As an adult, I would too. Like. I, I should be really internalizing these rules. <laughs> <laughs> Number three was to close all doors in the room, except for those that lead to the outside, like your balcony, patio, or front doors. Sometimes the snake will just look for an escape route and will use these openings. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, just let him go back into the wild. I, I think that's always cool. Always great. Point number four, if the snake is in the garden, spray it gently with a water hose to send it on its way while keeping your distance. This will persuade the snake to leave the area. And if you find a snake in your pool, you can use a long-handled leaf skimmer to gently remove the snake as it may not be able to get out of its own if it's small or exhausted from swimming. It can get tired too. It ain't no Joseph schooling. Right, okay. Point number five, if the snake is in an open area like the floor and not moving much, the best thing to do is place an object over it like a heavy blanket or towel. Interesting. Hold the towel blanket slash in front of you when approaching it and then firmly cast it over the snake. The snake should immediately calm down and will feel secure if it cannot see what's going on on the outside of the blanket. If possible, place heavy objects around the edge to prevent the snake from slipping out from underneath the towel or blanket and escaping. Uh, this will buy you some time to get help. So, oh, it feels... Uh, the way I'm reading is that I feel snug and loved. This actually seems quite non-intuitive to me because I, I would be scared to even put anything over the snake. But it, it sounds like this may help. Of course, I think the utmost priority is your own safety. Uh, but if you do feel safe enough to do something like this, uh, I think this is a great step to take to, you know, uh, buy you some time to get help, right? So to contact professionals like uh, NPARKS Wildlife Management or, or, or ACRES, right? So this can help, you know, stop the snake from moving around everywhere and getting into all the cracks of your house and, and, and making sure that it stays in one place. Uh, that would also make rescuing the snake a lot easier for professionals. Over here, they've, they've pointed out that if you find a snake in your drawer by any chance, so it's not in like an open space like or behind furniture or somewhere difficult to access, uh, that you should just leave it alone and move all family members or you know loved ones away from the immediate area and most of all to not attempt to interact with it at all uh, to straight away call for professional help and have someone to keep an eye on the snake from a safe distance and note where it goes into hiding while you are contacting for help especially in Singapore I feel like the usual response to seeing you know wildlife that you're not used to is to immediately start taking out your phone and starting to 
put it on TikTok or Instagram or something like that. <laughs> uh, but that actually, you know, you might you might be putting yourself at risk when you're doing that because when you do that, you may be feel it, making this animal feel cornered. You may be making this animal feel threatened. Uh, and that could have its own repercussions as well. So it's encouraging you not to try and remove it by yourself, but also to give it that space and uh, that sense of security to make sure that doesn't feel threatened. And, and lastly, here's the, a, a very good after action review tip from Parks, which is find out why the snake came to your area. You know, kind of just keep some stock on this. Do you keep rodents or birds? Uh, are, th- are there birds nesting in your garden? And do you have a rodent problem in your house or garden? Uh, because some of these snakes prey on small animals like rabbits, rats, and cats, as well as, a- as birds and amphibians. So, you know, maybe the reason they're drawn to your place could be because of these factors. That's nice. You know, a, a snake could help you detect whether you have a like rodent problem, which that's big brain. Sometimes we, we tend to think of this as a pest management problem. And actually it's a uh, trash management problem, right? So, <laughs> yeah, my wife would totally vibe with that. It's like, yo, you should take out the trash right now. If you go online, people will say to call all kinds of people the police, acres, pest control, even the Singapore Zoo. Uh, what's the difference between calling each of these agencies or organizations? As far as snakes are concerned, um, the two best people to call are NPARCs, Wildlife Management, um, Animal Response Center. So, 1 800 476 1600. And the ACRES hotline, ACRES is 9783-7782. So uh, these two agencies uh, are well-equipped to professionally and humanely remove these animals. So uh, a lot of times with, especially with pest control companies, you know, the pest control operators may not be adequately trained to handle, for example, a highly venomous snake or even a python, right? And that could end up hurting them as well as the snake. And furthermore, it's also perpetuating the fact, the, 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 the idea that these animals are pests. Uh, because we wouldn't call pest control if, say, an otter or a, or a pangolin was inside our house, right? Because we don't think of these animals as pests. We think of them as native wildlife. When, in fact, these snakes, these uh, other animals that, you know, maybe don't fit our preconceived notions of wildlife, they deserve that same respect as well. Um, and that means calling the professionals who, who know what they're doing, which is... You know, wildlife management and um, acres in this case. Yeah, so so I think that's super interesting to hear. Of course, if in the off chance that you do get a snake bite, and apparently it has been pretty rare. This is a study that was done between 2004 and 2008. There were only 52 cases identified. And actually, most of these were easily treated with. Uh, but if you do get a venomous snake bite, you may notice some of the following swelling, uh, rapid heartbeat, uh, sweating, shivering, and of course, uh, intense pain. Uh, you do not have to wait for these signs to appear before seeking treatment. If you get a snake bite, uh, go for treatment. Uh, most of the time, they are treated with an anti-venom, which is normally made from equine antibodies, which is, means from horses. The doctor will first do a skin test before administering the anti-venom to make sure the patient is not allergic. And even if an anti-venom is not indicated, the doctor needs to assess the patient for complications such as, you know, retain two fragments in the wound. The doctor will also suture lacerations as needed and make sure that any required tetanus booster is given. And this is from basically our health authority and from the health exchange website. I don't think there's been any death from snake bite in Singapore in, in at least a couple of decades. So it's very rare to have a serious snake bite. And many times the snake bite is a result of human action, like people picking up snakes and then getting bitten by said snakes. We've spent a good amount of time discussing snakes now. And my personal view of the topic has definitely changed. I think rather than see them as something to be managed and controlled or, or like, you know, dealt with, if you were to use that vocabulary, uh, actually you could 
you could even see them as something to be embraced as part of our biodiversity right like we re- we live in a biodiverse rich country and and it's something to definitely appreciate and when we talk about a singapore identity we want to also look at you know the ecological and environmental features of our identity right the fact that we have uh, these these creatures that exist together with all the other stuff like animals and flowers and, and and whatnot which we could do more episodes on so if after this episode actually you are now curious and you want to go about looking for snakes or you know start looking at uh maybe making it a hobby to to go snake spotting like sunker in that case then sunker how do people you know get started on that journey and how can they get involved with, with the herpetological society as well and, and to be honest a lot of it depends on luck uh, but you can turn it towards your favor by reading and understanding the ecology of the snakes that you're, that you're searching for so for example if you want to look for snakes that live on trees then you would look for those specific, specific like sunspots on trees uh, you would look for fossorial snakes in the leaf litter um, but you know, basically, the best way to see these animals is to go out as much as you can and, and, and try to spot them more easily. One thing you can do is to join the HSS, the Herpetological Society. You can join us on our, on our monthly guided walk. So we have historically been doing them monthly. Uh, unfortunately, right now, due to COVID regulations, we have kind of eased off on that a little bit. Most of our outreach is going online. So you can follow us online and find out more about these animals so that you know in your own adventures you can find them more easily and, and, and at the same time learn how to respectfully interact with them well that's wonderful news I think I'm personally quite excited to go and see like wh- how these snakes live in the wild and you mentioned Ubin which I haven't been to in ages so I, I'm I'm pretty much gonna do it once uh, we can go on these guided tours once again yeah sure <laughs> You should join us. Hey, totally. Rovik, you, you up for a walk? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll admit that I'm still a bit apprehensive, but I think I'm curious more than apprehensive. That's the story of our life, uh, Rovik. Like, curious but apprehensive <laughs> is, the, is the brand of this show. After this episode, you've had a different take on snakes in Singapore. Uh, you've gained a better appreciation of what life is in Singapore is like, you know, coexisting with, with different creatures and, and, and stuff like that. If you want to find out more, we will put the link to the Herpetological Society of Singapore. Uh, you can you can go check them out. Uh, and we will also be having a newsletter that accompany this with more pictures and, and facts. So if you haven't already signed up to our Substack, do that now uh, so that you can get that great content. On that note, Sankar, once again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being just so generous with your sharings. Oh, I yeah, really appreciate absolutely. it. No, I mean, thank you so much for having me. It's, 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 it's been a treat. On that note, this has been Ro. 